Again, we're in Genesis chapter 41. We've read through that during the, I guess, through the worship time, right? So part of, part of worship is reading Scripture. So that's one of the reasons why we do call to worship, by the way. There's about five to seven things that should be in every, every service or nearly every service. Uh, meditation is one of those things that should be in every service. We don't do that a ton, but we definitely do it on Communion Sunday before we take communion. So we do that at least once a month. And reading of Scripture, praising God through worship, uh, listening to that given and things, those are the ones I can remember right off the top of my head. I can't remember the rest of them. Prayer, that's another one, obviously. So that's something that we want to do. In Genesis chapter 41, we find the story of Joseph coming to this head, coming to this place where it's like, wow, what's going to happen? What are we going to do next? And what's going to happen? And we find Joseph ready to meet that calling. And that's really neat to me because Joseph is waiting. He is sitting there waiting. The way it's written is that he is waiting daily for the cupbearer to go to the Pharaoh and say, okay, uh, he's going to, any day now, he's going to say, I, I can understand him taking a break, but he's going to be ready. And Joseph was in this anticipation that he was going, the cupbearer was going to follow through on his actions and going through. But Joseph doesn't let the outside circumstances of the waiting affect his good character. He continues to be molded into what, who God wants him to be. He surrenders his agenda to the Lord's will, and for two more years at least, he is in prison that we find out, right? We're not really sure the time frame. I heard from two different uh, commentaries that he was in, that was the extent of his prison stay was about two to three years, or it was 12 years, depending on, on who you listen to. My Jewish Baruch, he said he was in prison for 12 years. I, I tend to think that he was serving in Potiphar's household for 10, 10 to 11, and then he was in for that, those two years, like he said. So that's kind of where I'm at. But daily waiting for the Lord to move or the cupbearer to remember... It just happened that God moved, and that caused the cupbearer to move as well, right? And so he's like, oh, yeah, there's that guy, that one guy. Remember, he was in prison. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oops. Right? Oops. Two years of an oopsie. That's a long time. Joseph's going to be in charge of this guy. You ever think of that? He's going to be over top of this guy. Do you think God is preparing him? For what is about to happen with his brothers, he's going to be about to be in charge of his brothers in the next chapter. How is he going to treat them? How is he going to respond to them when they said, oh yeah, oops. Joseph has a lot of that in his life. and He doesn't allow his character to be swayed by different people's mistakes. And it is a powerful story with a lot of symbolism toward Christ. At that point, when the cupbearer remembers that Joseph's life starts picking up pace really quickly. You're going from somebody that's in charge of a prison, right, which is probably a little hole in the wall, didn't have much light, 
and he was at the mercy of the jailer for his food, as we talked about last week. Now he is going to be in charge of the whole kingdom. And we see a lot of similarities between chapter 40 with the cupbearer and the baker. And now we have two dreams that come along with Pharaoh, except for both of those dreams, the the seven cows and the seven heads of grain are both bad dreams. Now, it says also that no one can interpret these. And I find this interesting because it's similar to the story in Daniel. When Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and Daniel has to interpret, tell the dream and then interpret it. Right? Well, here back in ancient Egypt, apparently we had enough integrity that they didn't try to kid the kidder. Right? Nebuchadnezzar knew that they would just try to feed him some line, and he wanted to know if you're really from speaking from the gods, then you better be able to tell me the dream and then tell me the answer to the dream. And here we have the Pharaoh's men, his we'll call them wise guys, wise men, right? Um, they are smart enough to say, we don't understand this. We can't interpret this. Whether their regular methods weren't working, uh, it didn't have anything to do with the rising and falling of the sun, so that didn't, that didn't go with Ra. It didn't go with uh, anything dead, so it didn't go with that guy and all those people, and we're trying to figure this all out. And here... We see a little bit of integrity. They don't step in and try to, to throw the wool over his eyes. And I thought that was kind of neat. But it's at this point that the cupbearer remembers, oh, yes, there was a guy in prison that was able to interpret dreams, and I could bring him in. This is where I need to remember Joseph, and he kind of falls on his sword in front of the Pharaoh. I don't know if he ever falls on his sword in front of Joseph at this time, but we know he probably will have to because Joseph is going to be second in charge of all Egypt. And he sent for Joseph, the Pharaoh did, and Joseph says that he can't interpret dreams. Well, this is just fine and dandy. The cupbearer is in trouble now because he interpreted my dreams. Um, Oh, yeah, there was that. He did tell me that, too, that he couldn't do that. That's only a job for God. So right away, Joseph could have taken all the credit for that, but he does not. He gives credit where credit is due. He says, only God can interpret dreams, and he goes on to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And we see some amazing things. So that brings us to our main point today, when our waiting moves to action, will we be ready like Joseph? Because we need to remember this. God does not call the qualified, but he qualifies the called, right? I I was listening to um, a guy I've been caught on with uh, on reels. He says, nobody is really qualified for the position, the next position they're going to take. Whether they're interviewing for a job, whether they're doing something, nobody's ready for that next step in things. But are you willing to put in the hard work to be prepared to do that next step? And 
That's where Joseph is. Is he really prepared to be second in charge of all the king, all the all of Pharaoh's land and things, and pretty soon the known world? Because everybody's going to be coming to Egypt for grain. And you can make a probably a strong case at this point in time, he's probably not ready. However, in seven years, he might be ready. And that's why God gives him the seven good years first, which is also amazing. Good thing he didn't give him the the seven bad years afterwards uh, the first time because it wouldn't have done you much good, right? So God is merciful in that, gives him the seven good years. Joseph is working through this thing. And Joseph keeps his life centered on God. He never forgets his Jewish traditions. This is why we know that Jacob has probably done a pretty decent job of, of teaching Joseph his ways because he doesn't forget. He is able to walk through these things. And now all those things that he was being a little bit self-righteous with, with his brothers, are coming back into where he can see how I can be a humble man and serve the Lord through his decrees. That's pretty, pretty awesome. And baffling all at the same time. So we need to learn how to give credit where credit is due. God deserves the credit and he deserves the glory for the good that he has done. Joseph has been in prison for 12 years or two years, like I said, depending on the, on the commentaries. Joseph was able to keep his character intact. He was able to give God the credit for these things that are being done through Joseph. So how do you do that? How do we do that? As God develops each one of our characters in the worst times and in the best times, it's like a runner who has hit the wall. You ever get out running and you go along, and I tell this to Girls in volleyball, the first, first match in volleyball is easy for the, all the girls to play. They can go along. It's the second match that's the hardest because their adrenaline is coming down, right? For basketball, it's the first two minutes for me that's hard to play basketball because I feel like I can't breathe because my adrenaline is coming off and that dry mouth and I, I can't breathe. I, I need that drink. I need to go off the court real quick. Well, I just need to push through. That, runners call that the wall, right? And there's, there's different walls that you'll hit. I'm not a marathon runner, but usually when you get, oh, mile 10 or 20, you usually hit a wall, a, a barrier that you've got to push through no matter what. And I know this from my sister-in-law, and I know this from my, my nephew. And if you can discipline your body to push through that wall, then you can keep going. Your body's telling you to shut down, to stop doing what you're doing, but you can keep moving on. And Paul says, I take and I beat my body and I make it my slave so that I might win some for the gospel. That's in 1 Corinthians 9.27. And he also writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18, the end of 18 through 20, says, when we get into times of difficulty to sing songs and spiritual hymns. 
And so when we get into those tough times, one of the opportunities that we have to push through the wall is God's word in musical form and just its word by itself, right? Remembering those, recalling that. Uh, I'm going to read Ephesians 5, 18b through 20. It says, Be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, and make music to the Lord in your hearts, and give thanks to everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God's given us everything through his Son, Jesus Christ, so that we might have life, right? So it comes from high through the conduit of Christ to us who can be a conduit for others to receive Christ who can go back to the Lord. If you look at all of creation, it's kind of like that. We started with heaven, we started in the garden, and then we fell. God promised us a Savior, Christ. We have an opportunity to take us back. And I believe we'll get back to some kind of garden state that, and I'm not talking New Jersey right there. Thanks. Thanks, Craig. That's right. Um, but we're talking about perfection in, in with the Lord. We're going to have a new heaven and a new earth, and I think it's going to look a lot like it did at the beginning. That's just my personal belief. It's kind of circular. We see that in salvation. We see that in other places, too. And God's going to take us back to some kind of, of salvation there. So some of the things that I had, I was thinking about, well, when people are down, we're supposed to sing these songs. And this is a good time, maybe, to grab dedicated verses. Do you ever get one of those packets that has, if you're going through this, read these psalms, read these certain verses, okay? So I went and I found, uh, I think I found six, and I pulled five of them because, or I pulled four of them because they, they hit the, the passage that we're going through today a lot better. Psalm 9 9 and 10, it says, The Lord is a shelter for the oppressed, refuge in the times of troubles. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, O Lord, do not abandon those who search for you. A little bit of a conditional statement, right? God does not abandon those who search for him. When you seek me, you'll find me. You'll seek, you'll find, you seek me, you'll find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Jeremiah 29, 13. Psalm ten seventeen says, Lord, you know the hopes of the, ho- of the helpless. Surely you will hear their cries and comfort them. Psalm 55, 22, give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. Psalm 100, verse 3, acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us, we are his We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Yay. I love being compared to sheep. Right? But that's all right, because a lot of times that's what I am. A dumb people pleaser, follower, right? So I need to walk outside that. God's called us to that through his word. And when we are in that waiting, when we are in that anticipation, what's next, what's going to happen... Will we be ready to move like Joseph was? Because God 
doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. The call. The Lord was training Joseph. We see this at Potiphar's house. We see this in the prison. We see that he is developing his character and integrity. And now he would be able to have the tools to manage all of Egypt. He took what the world gave him and he, and he turned it into work experience. You know, you ever wonder how that interview process went with the Pharaoh? You ever wonder how he got up there and he was wondering like, well, Joseph, it seems that you can interpret dreams, but uh, can you manage the whole kingdom like you're talking about this guy that needs to be? Well, I don't know. Burke said that this passage isn't really translated the best way. He says that Joseph says it in a way that is very full of chutzpah, and it's, so it's a lot of guts. And he comes up there, and he's like, it's not saying, who else could do this? He's saying, Joseph says, who better for the job than the guy that told you how it's going to go? You can see that God's working in me, so you will see God working in your kingdom if you choose me. It's basically what Joseph said in that interview. So, in any interview process, you want to be able to sell yourself. And not only did Joseph was able to sell himself, but he was also able to sell God, right? He was able to say, this is what I have to offer. I have the God that's in charge of all your gods, your little gods, right? Here I am. When does Joseph do this? How old is he when he comes in? It said in the passage, do you remember? He's 30 years old. Who else started his ministry when he was 30 years old? Huh. Interesting. One of those ties that we'll get into later. I, I didn't catch it till this morning. Again, when Craig wrote, read that passage. Craig or Amy. I can't remember. Maybe Amy ran. And then Craig Gillum had a boy on the, those Egyptian names. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot those were in there. He just right through them. I was like, yes, had a boy. Yes, yes. So... All these things come into Joseph's life. There's good times. There's bad times. The guy stubs his toe just like you and I did. He had to put his pants on one leg at a time. But he went to the Lord and asked the Lord of his blessing. Embrace life in whatever form it presents itself. There is an opportunity in every situation to look at it in a positive or negative light isn't there? Every situation, you can look at it and say, well, I stepped in a mud puddle. Well, at least uh, my, my feet are cooled off now, right? I'm not going to have to worry about warm feet today. You know, there's always something that you can find positive out of any situation. And it is your choice on how you choose to see that. That's not always easy, is it? Because what do we like to do? What are we talented in? I'll say. We're talented in, well, I am. I'm talented in complaining, right? I, I'm a, I can complain. I can, woe is me. I have to process through 
talking all the time. You're like, Craig Mitzelfeld's like, yeah, he does. He processes me all the time, right? Wish he would stop sometimes. So I got a, I'm processing yesterday, nine o'clock in the morning, first baseball game. Um, we had a disagreement about catcher placement with the other coach on the other team, and he started to say, wait a minute, I had an agreement with your assistant coach over there. And I said, yeah, my assistant coach. And what you interpreted it as and what I interpreted it as were two different things. Uh, he wanted to play a pitcher, not a catcher. We're supposed to play a catcher. I played a catcher. And so he kept running his boys around the bases. And I was like, this age, we don't do that. This league, we don't do that. Um, and we were able to work it out. We got through. I'm still processing. I had somebody come up to me and apologize uh, for, for having to go through that. And I had a choice right there. I could say, man, that guy got up in my grill. I could have, I was, he wasn't listening. And I was like, no, you know what? There's other people around here that are listening, and I'm going to choose to go rise above this. And I was like, it was a misunderstanding. He's a high school baseball coach. He is coaching like high school. And that's the way you do. You run, you get those runs in. It's just not what we do at this, this age level. So he's learning, I'm learning, and we worked it out. We just shouldn't have done that in front of all the kids, right, at home plate. But uh, <laughs> so I, called, I texted and I apologized to my team because I don't want to set that character um, to my team at all. My boys should know that they have a coach that is full of character and not a character for a coach, right? So... Joseph, I'm sure, had many a times when he was in those situations. You think when he's confronted his brother, when he confronts the cupbearer, remember, I've been there for two years, dude. Two years. Now you go remember after two years, you go see what it was like. I don't think he probably did that, though. So embrace life in whatever form it presents itself, and then transform it with renewed mind in Christ, and then with Christ we can choose to see it as an opportunity instead of an obstacle. Praise God for his transformation process. His transformation process begins with reading his word, and then it is meditating on his word, and then it is praying his word back to the Lord, right? First, it's reading God's word, then it's meditating on it, and then praying it back to him so he knows that we know, which he already knows that, but he wants to know that we know that he knows, right? Oh, yeah, that's what, he, that's what you get with working with omniscience. So when we're waiting, and when waiting moves into action, are we going to be ready like Joseph? Remember, God doesn't call the qualified, qualifies the call. So in the calling, were we sulking for the last two years? Or were we preparing our heart to receive back or to receive forward? One of the two. Maybe it's a broken relationship that you've received back into your life. Maybe it's a new relationship that you're moving forward with. One of the two, right? Maybe it's a current relation that you're strengthening. 
Then we come to the Christ connection. This was the one that Colin Smith really opened my mind up to in chapter 40, and it really dovetails right into 41 as well. Look at Joseph. He is in exile, and then he's in Potiphar's house, and then he's in prison, and then he's in charge of a kingdom. If you can't see a cycle of life that has got more ups and downs in it than Joseph's, it's pretty hard. And we're talking extremes here. But you do not see that in his emotions. He does not swing up when the times are good, and he doesn't swing down when the times are bad. Because if he swung down when the times are bad and what he's dealing with, he would have been dead from suicide. I can guarantee you that. He has got this even keel manner that goes along with this relationship with God our Father, right? And he is a prophet. He is able to see ahead in what God has for us. The dreams, then when he's in prison... We start to narrow that down. We see the dreams for the wine taster and the baker. And we have two opportunities to go. One's toward the dream job. They both have um, a dream of their occupation, right? Both of them dream the wine, the cup bearer dreams of tasting wines in the presence of the king. I get to stand in the presence of the king or the pharaoh, and I get to taste wine for the rest of my life. This is amazing. And then you have the baker who gets um, hung up on a pole and the birds peck at his flesh. Probably the worst case scenario that you could ever imagine. And that's what we have here. So both had a trial in three days, right? We got three days and then he's called back. Both had dreams of their current occupation, and both of them dealt with either their dream job or their death. They were the opposites in that. Yet Joseph was forgotten for the one who received the dream job, right? Which Christ does not do that for us, but Joseph, that happened to. But you can, you can make a case there. So the prophet Joseph, he can foresee what is next but he cannot change it. Okay, that is important. A prophet can always foresee what's going to happen next. They can't change that outcome unless God directly steps in. Okay, there's times when God says, I'll allow you to step in. There's times when they ask and God does change that, but God's got to be involved in the process, right? And so just as Jesus chose to die for you and I, we can choose to live for him. So, let's look at this. Now, now we have that Christ connection in here. Christ is is like the baker. He takes our punishment of being hung on a pole and between two people that could choose different outcomes, right? You have the thief on his left and the thief on his right. One chooses to mock Jesus. One chooses to say, if you're really the son of God, come off the cross and save us as well. And the other one chooses to say, remember me. Where does he get that line from? 
Where does that come from? It comes from Genesis chapter 40, when Joseph makes a plea to the cupbearer and says, remember me that I was unjustly done. Can Joseph provide justification for the cupbearer? Can the cupbearer provide justification for Joseph? Not in the heavenly sense, but Jesus Christ is the game changer. He is taking the baker's penalty, the one deserved by the baker, and he also gives away the glory to be in the presence of the king. This is amazing to see this Christ connection. And as he comes and he gets to that point, he says, oh, that he can set them free, right? When the one says, remember me, like, he's, like Joseph did in chapter 40, he says that Christ can set you free. Today you will be with me in paradise. Christ frees him from this earthly burden, which happens to be through death. But Jesus takes the cup of God's wrath. He drinks that cup that was deserved of humanity, and he exalts us because of that. Christ surrendered first, right? I've been hammering on this lately, but somebody needs to hear it lately. Christ surrendered first. He died on the cross first. He was the firstborn first. He gave up his kingdom, his glory, his everything to save people that reject him Every time. I got to thinking about this last night. The difference between Christianity, a major difference between Christianity and world religions is our God allows us to reject him still. You ever think about that? It just was an epiphany, epiphany to me last night. I was like, wow. God, think about this. If we rejected any other worldly God, what would happen? They would smote us, right? Then boom, you're dead, you're dead. You're, you're, something's going to happen to you. You're going to come back as a moth or an insect, right? Or whatever it may be. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, you can reject me over and over. As a matter of fact, you're going to, but I have provided a way back every single time when you surrender, when you come into me with humility, that's what communion's all about. It's hitting that reset button to come back in. The thieves are presented with a choice. Trade this life for the next with Jesus or hang on to what they have and mock Jesus. Or to say it another way, to turn from their ways or surrender to your Savior, just like Christ did and set that example for us. In Luke 23, uh, 39 through 43 says, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffs, says, You're the Messiah, aren't you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man has not 
done anything wrong, he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus says only a few things. And he takes time to talk to the sinner on the cross to him. He says, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. Christ is watching out for you and I, friend. He is watching, he is waiting for us to be like that sinner on the cross and say, remember me. It is your choice, it is my choice. Moreover, the cupbearer forgot Joseph and and what Joseph did for him. Yet Joseph remains faithful. Likewise, as the world tries to forget what Christ has did for each one of us, we are reminded through his truth in his holy word that he is our Savior when we seek his forgiveness. Right? Just because the world forgot Christ, just because they are trying to hide him as best they can, doesn't mean that we are going to, and doesn't mean that he has forgot us. Like Joseph, when we are faithful, there will be a big blessing. And when we are repentant in the end, like the thief on the cross, we have hope of this salvation. We will be with the Lord in paradise. That's exciting, right? I'm excited. Are you excited? You're excited or sleeping, that's one of the two. Not much in between on that one. The thieves have, the thief has a great blessing. It's another thing that came to me yesterday. Well, it was Friday. This one came to me Friday. The, the thief is in the presence of the king of kings eating ice cream. He, gets, he dies, he goes up there, he's in the presence of of God our Father, because he's made right with God through Jesus Christ, and he's up there eating ice cream. And however, he probably looks over, and he sees Jesus and Joseph, and he's wondering, well, they don't have any ice cream. You know, Jesus got here after I did, because I was here first, I know, because I died. They, They broke my legs first, I died first, and then he was dead, or maybe it's the other way around, doesn't matter. They got up there right about the same time, and he's like, well, where's Jesus' ice cream? He should, he, I, I, Jesus actually probably got there before he did. He should be eating it. I don't think he's finished it yet. I don't see that ring around his mouth, right? So he's wondering where he's asked. So he asks Jesus, and he points out, and Jesus replies, he points out the whole kingdom. Look around. He says, when I died for you and for everyone, God gave me the whole kingdom. Everything here, everything you see, everything, it belongs to me. I'm just like, well, that was a pretty good deal, right? Well, what about Joseph, you know? What about Joseph, you know? He, he was the guy I was quoting earlier on. So, how come he doesn't have any ice cream? It's, well, my friend, his reward He gets the whole ice cream factory for being faithful, right? There are rewards when we get to heaven. I don't know if it's going to be ice cream. I don't know what it's going to be. That's just symbolism, right? 
the guy getting up there is going to be happy for his ice cream. But when we're faithful, I believe God's got more responsibilities up there. Now is the time to be faithful. Now is the time to move forward. Because we must go. Live to feed the hungry. Stand beside the broken. We must go. Stepping forward. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what brings that song home today to me. Is it going to bring it home to you? Don't be that guy that stands up there eating ice cream when you, you could own the whole ice cream factory, right? Because when we're waiting and when it moves into action, will we be ready like Joseph was? Because God does not call the qualified, qualifies the called. Let's pray. Elders, you can come forward. You want to stop that? Yes, please. Thanks. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time together. We thank you that you are watching over us, that you are a God who loves us, who cares for us, who is a merciful God who extends his mercy with strength, with honor, and you set the example in that mercy first, Lord. Praise God. We praise you for your grace. We praise you for uh, the wonderful things that you have done for us. Lord, that brings us to our brokenness this morning. A time of communion that you said, remember what I did on the cross. Remember what I have for you. Do not forget. Lord, I ask for forgiveness. First in my own life. Lord, I ask for forgiveness in the life of our congregation. You're a God who loves us. And we turn away from you often. Lord, I thank you that you are watching over us and and moving us that direction. Be with us this morning as we take communion. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As we go through every part of this day, help us to love you and to love the people who cross our path, starting with our families. Don't let us miss the good news about Jesus, to, or miss the adventures you're sending our way to live and to speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw our hearts to you and the specific people you want us to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform our lives into followers of Jesus who love you, who love people who make disciples, who make more disciples, ad infinitum. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.